Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Dan Kern. Dan, are you ready to do this? I am ready, George. Excellent. Let's do this. Dan is a CFA with extensive background in investment analysis, portfolio management, and trust banking. He is the chief investment officer at TFC Financial Management. I'm excited to have you on. Dan, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Well, personal life, I live in, in Boston in the Back Bay with my with my wife, Darlene. Uh, we are, to some degree, empty nesters. I've got two children in college. My son, Matt, is a senior at UC Santa Barbara. Nice. Uh, so he's, he's living life right. He's right near, uh, <laughs> right near the beach, and uh, he doesn't have a whole lot to complain about. Uh, he just finished finals. My daughter, Emma, is a, also a senior at Hofstra in New York. Um, so I've got one East Coaster and one West Coaster. Nice. Uh, and uh, at the end of this year, I will be done paying college tuition. So life, life is good. <laughs> Perfect. So, so my world, the TFC Financial Management is a financial advisor. We do investment management and financial planning primarily for individuals. Uh, the mission of our firm really is to help to try is to try to help people make better financial decisions. We consider ourselves financial coaches. Uh, my role in the organization is in part about investing. I lead the firm's investment efforts. But an important component of my role is education and coaching, uh, helping helping clients to make good decisions, helping to guide them um, when times are, are tough, um, when the market is down. Uh, that's, I think, when I'm most valuable. When the market's going up, I'm, I'm important. But I think the real importance in my role is helping to keep people on track when times are tough. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's oftentimes when emotions come into play. So, <laughs> Very true. And those have a tendency to screw us up sometimes. So, well, I know that you've been at it for a while. would love to, uh, to learn about what you consider your investment style to be and how that's been shaped and changed over time. Well, my style's definitely changed over time. I, I, I started out, uh, my, my first jobs in the investment industry were in in building portfolios actively managed portfolios of individual equity securities and I, I learned while doing that how hard it is to win in picking individual securities and ha how difficult it is to beat uh, to beat indexes and to, to sustain success so that's given me a, a, a healthy skepticism uh, ab about managing money um, and a belief that in in a lot of a lot of areas in the market, I think that index or factor based investing wins. Um, with that said, I do also think that in parts of the market, um, active management can win. And I think the the real the, the real magic can come in with with advisors that do a thoughtful job of combining. Uh, pure index, factor-based, and active strategies all into one logical portfolio. 
Uh, I went from managing individual equity portfolios to ultimately becoming head of asset allocation for Charles Schwab Investment Management. And I spent a, a good stretch of time there managing asset allocation mutual funds where I was able to put some of the my theoretical beliefs into practice day in, day out in portfolios. Got it. Wow. Nice. And do you perceive or do, do you think, have you observed that the markets have also changed during your time in the industry? Oh, absolutely. Um, it, it, it's funny. We spend an awful lot of time talking to people about the Amazon effect and the the degree to which Amazon has really uh, disrupted um, a, a lot of uh, a, a lot of the economy. Um, getting less attention is the degree to which technology and academic research has disrupted the investment management business. And I think just when, when I started managing money, I think we probably spent 75% of our time gathering information um, and trying to, to gather actionable insights, uh, whether it's going to to uh, to malls and taking a look at mall traffic or looking at, at, at how many cars were in parking lots. Now with with technology, uh, I think a lot of that approach has been turned on turned on on its head in, in that I think you spend more like 25% of your time gathering data because technology has become so sophisticated and that frees up 75% of, of investors time to actually do analysis. So it's, it's very, it's very different. And I, I think that the inroads made the, the discovery of, of things like the value premium or the tendency of, of small company stocks to outperform large company stocks over time the academic progress made over the, the 30 years of my career has just made an enormous contribution to how how people think about investing and how people actually manage money. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. I feel like technology has changed so many different industries, which is exactly what you said about Amazon. And But you could also look at it uh, from a sports perspective, looking at people just using uh Using saber metrics to put a lineup together versus feel, for 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 lack of a better term. I I just um, wrote an article where I I mentioned the book and movie Moneyball, and talked about how the the discovery of of undervalued baseball players through the use of statistical analysis was transformational for for baseball. But I, I use that example to, to, to also discuss how competitive advantages in sports, uh, as in investing, can can vanish over time as as success breeds imitation. And I, I, I think about Billy Bean and how successful he was with the with the Oakland A's by being groundbreaking in his use of statistical analysis. But that advantage er eroded as teams with deeper pockets started to emulate what the Oakland A's were doing. And, and I've seen that uh, kind of that lather, rinse, repeat cycle um, occur in investing as well as in sports. And is that one of the reasons why it's so difficult to be successful picking um, individual securities, picking stocks? Is, is that one of the reasons because all available information is so readily available? Yeah, there is so much information available and a lot of really 
smart people trying to interpret that information in order to in order to to compete against against others. Uh, I think it's just when I think about U.S. large cap equities, there's so much information available, so many people and so many com computer algorithms going through that information. It's it's really hard to win. It's a very competitive, very competitive arena. Uh, with that said, I do think there are parts of the market where there isn't quite as much uh, the, the the competition isn't as fierce. Maybe because there are fewer players, or it's it's more difficult to interpret interpret information. So I think there are parts of the market where you can still win and you can still sustain uh, a winning a, a winning approach. And I think about um, small cap equity investing. Um, the, there isn't quite as much information out there. There aren't quite as many competitors. Uh, I think that's an area where active can win. Um, I also think that in, 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 an, in an arena like fixed income, where, where there are, uh, there's a lot of money, a lot of non-economically driven money investing in bonds, that creates some opportunities for active managers who can you know, who can take advantage of some of the, the, the systemic um, opportunities provided because sovereign wealth front funds, central banks, insurance companies all have some non-economic reasons for investing in, in certain bonds. So I think active you know, tends to win in fixed income and active can win in, in certain, certain corners of the equity markets. I think that makes sense. What do you think makes a good investor? I, I think, uh, in part, patience. <laughs> the the hyperactive approaches to trading tend to be self defeating over, over over time. So I think that's that's part of it. I think there's also another psychological dimension, which is that. Uh, you know, it's 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 interesting. It's it's not like investing isn't like being in school. Uh, if if you're an investor and you are you have the correct answer, um, and the correct answer though is in line with the consensus, you don't win relative to the market. Hmm. Um, you really win in the market by having a non-consensus point of view. And being right. Now, uh, I'll, I'll quote from from uh, Rupal Bansali, who is a portfolio manager at Ariel Invest Investments. There are harsh penalties for wrong answers if you are voting against the consensus. So, so being right and outside of, of of consensus is how you win. The challenge is that oftentimes it takes a while to be proven right, and most people are wired to want to have the approval of other people. And, you know, some of the big winners, and I think about people like, like John Paulson during the, during the financial crisis, and some of the big winners have non-consensus positions in place for a long time before those positions pay off. Psychologically, it's really difficult for some people to be told, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong over and over again. Right. And people, you know, that's the it's human nature to want to get approval from others. So you really have to have a strong constitution and, and a strong sense 
of being right to stay with a non-consensus view when everybody's telling you you're stupid. The, the really good investors have that ability to tune out some of the noise, um, but at the same time, understand when they're hearing something that contradicts, that's, that, that undermines their point of view about an investment. So it's a, that strange balance of being somewhat immune from, from psychological pressure, but yet not so closed-minded as to be stubborn and stick with a losing position for, you know, forever. I've seen that. <laughs> there's there's a, a subtle difference between having conviction and just being stubborn. Right. Going down with the Titanic. <laughs> I've seen it happen. Oh, I, I don't doubt that for a second. Well, that sort of flows nicely into what are the characteristics of, of an unsuccessful investor? I think uh, it's, stubbornness is, is, is one of them. Um, I, I'll tell a, a short story. I, I went to uh, I went to business school with with somebody who um, consistently walked out of tests saying, "I crushed! I absolutely crushed that test." <laughs> and he was sh- so sure of himself. And and at first I thought, "Hmm, okay." He he answered this question a, a certain way, and it was different than how I answered the question. And I'm, I'm kind of more of a soul searcher. And I'm thinking, huh, I thought I got that question right. What did I, what did I miss? <laughs> and, and over time, I realized, oh, I was totally right. He was totally wrong. <laughs> and uh, and he, he, he didn't do that well in school. We joked in school, a couple of us um, uh, more cynical people joked that we were going to start a contrarian fund and, and just – Bet against whatever stocks this guy was. This guy was picking. Now, fortunately, right. I don't think he's a, he's he's become a stock picker. But I think intellectual arrogance can be one of the one of the most dangerous uh, characteristics for for an investor. Uh, I think uh, we talk about confirmation bias. Um, one of the behavioral be- behavioral psychology elements and. Uh, there are a lot of investors that just want to talk to people who confirm their point of view, uh, and so you know, uh, ultimately that's a recipe for a recipe for failure. It's always good to hear contrary points of view, even if you end up dis- disagreeing. So I, th- those are those are a couple of the things that I think are just critical flaws for for an investor. You don't you don't want to be intellectually arrogant, and you don't just want to to talk in an echo chamber and just hear. Uh, and read from uh, points of view that that agree with yours. I, I appreciate that very much. Well, I, if you could take out your crystal ball, um, how do you see all these technologies like artificial intelligence, machine learning, and maybe even blockchain factoring into the world of an ordinary investor moving forward? Well, I, th- I, I think technology, all, various forms of technology have a way of, of democratizing in, investments. It's a lot, there's a lot more information and a lot more tools available um, to help professional investors and to, to help, uh, to help do, it your, do it yourselfers. Uh, I think there, there is a lot more and will continue to be a lot more information available. Uh, which I think ultimately is is a is a really good thing. 
I, so I think uh, I think that's uh, a really great thing that not only will make it easier for people to invest and save for the long term, but it ought to make it cheaper, less expensive for people to, you know, create well diversified liquid liquid portfolios. With all that said, though, I think we are uh, we are generations away from having technology, uh, artificial learning, uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning. Uh, I think we're a long way from having that replace the judgment of a, of a George Soros or the legendary Peter Lynch. I, I think there's still room for that human involvement, um, helping to, to manage money. Uh, a, a hedge fund legend, Paul Tudor Jones, talked about a, a computer, and I'm, I'm not going to paraphrase this uh, perfectly, but a, a machine beats a human, um, but a, a human with a machine beats a machine every time. Mm-hmm. And I subscribe to that point of view. Got it. Excellent. Well, Dan, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? So my difference-making tip is that you win in the market by not losing. There are a lot of self-defeating behaviors that get in the way of being a successful investor. And so you win by not losing by understanding that costs and taxes matter. And if you can minimize costs and taxes, that gets you a long way on the road to success. The, the third leg to the, to the stool is avoiding the things that create permanent loss of capital. And permanent loss of capital typically comes from either having a, a, an undiversified portfolio, having too many eggs in a single basket, or being a forced seller. And being a forced seller comes from not having enough liquidity to handle your, your ongoing cash needs, or by being overly leveraged and having somebody forcing you to sell at an inopportune time. So ultimately, you can get a long way um, towards winning by avoiding the things that cause self-harm. Well, I think that is great stuff that definitely gets a come on. Come on. Dan, thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? uh, www.tfcfinancial.com. Perfect. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Dan your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to tfc.com and check out Dan and everything he's working on. Thank you again, Dan. Thank you, George. Take care. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing, leave us a review, and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on!